Welcome to Kindergarten Kiosk. Hello everyone, welcome to Kindergarten Kiosk. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kathy. And today we have an interview with Christy Mraz, who is co-author of the new book, Purposeful Play, the book that helps you make play a powerful part of your teaching. She's also co-author of A Mindset for Learning, Smarter Charts, and Smarter Charts for Math, Science, and Social Studies. Christy teaches kindergarten in the New York City public schools. In addition to writing and teaching, she consults in schools across the country and as far away as Taiwan. She primarily supports teachers in early literacy, play, and inquiry-based learning. On the off chance she has free time, you'll find Christy reading on a couch in Brooklyn with her dog and her husband. Christy joins us today via Skype. Christy, I love the book. Can you tell me a little bit about how it came to be? Um, uh, how it, how we came to sort of write it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I had worked with Alice in a teacher's college reading writing project. And when we were working in schools, you know, one of the beautiful things about um, working as a consultant is that you're in schools all over the country. And there's just this vibe everywhere, especially in primary classrooms and not just kindergarten, but first grade, second grade, which is where we primarily worked. Just this general feeling, especially when the Common Core came around, of of it just being like, kids weren't happy, teachers weren't happy, and we were noticing all sorts of crazy, crazy things happening, like um, things intended for eighth graders scaled down to child size Mm -hmm. um, for kindergarten and first grade, and, and it just, I don't know, it just became like that, like, you know, teaching became like business suits, do you uh-huh. know what I mean? Like, yeah. It was just like, um, that like somewhere it's been lost that like to get, you know, not everybody gets ready for work. Like, like, like your gear for the job, serious work isn't always high heels, you know, like, uh-huh. and that's like, I think that's so hard to communicate sometimes. And I think we were seeing that get lost in a lot of schools we were at. So Allison left to become an assistant principal, um, and she had written this book with Cheryl about choice time workshop, and I went to go work at Allison's school, and we sort of made this mission that we were like, all right, like, here's what we know. We know that the Common Core is not a curriculum. We know it's like an air, like a like goals for kids to get to. Mm-hmm. Can we get there um, with making the first priority of our day play? Mm-hmm. And Cheryl, you know, was a principal in um, in the Bronx, and she same sort of mission was happening at her school. Can we meet? Can we meet all the things we need to meet without with a curriculum that's child centered, developmentally appropriate, play based, joy based? And we found that yeah, we could, um, and we could do more when we put play as sort of our first priority um mm-hmm. and so that you know sort of writing about it I, I i kind of view writing as how you solve a problem not like how you show what you know uh-huh. <laughs> so like it like you know there were i worked on some sort of blog posts about it and we talked about it and we sort of explored it more and and that's sort of how the book came about yeah. I, I love your book. I think it's done everything you wanted it to do because every page I turned, I just felt just happiness in the pages of the book. Oh, That's so good to hear. <laughs> and I do love that you say in the book that the Common Core is an endpoint. It's not your curriculum. Right. And that uh, in, I, I wanted to read a part of the book because I love that you said informed teachers can see the standards being met in authentic and joyful play and help design engaging instruction that helps children meet the rest. 
I love that so much. And I, I, I like that you said that when we're informed, we can see how play meets our goals. And right. what, what do you think teachers should know? What's the most important thing teachers should know about play so that they can be informed? Well, I think I, that's, that's a great question. <laughs> and I'm going to stumble my way through to find the answer. Um, I mean, I think for me, it was, um, you know, Kathy Collins and Matt Glover wrote this great book called I Am Reading. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they talk about it is you choose the lens you look at things through. And one of the challenges with early childhood education is everyone looks at things through the cute lens. Mm-hmm. Oh, isn't it cute? Look at that little sign you made. Isn't that cute? Oh, look at that building you built. It's so cute. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think step one is is when you see, when you, when you put the lens, sort of the metaphorical lens in your glasses of this child is doing work right now, um, you start to see the thinking and learning. Whereas when something is cute, people just dismiss it out of hand mm-hmm. or, or like, there's this like, you know, sometimes I get annoyed when people say it's just fun. Cause like, what's just about the idea of fun? Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's this like distinctly American idea that like, we like work harder and sweat more and feel more <laughs> pain and like enjoy struggle and like, and I, and I don't know if that's, like, actually, tr- like, something we should be aiming for. Uh-huh. Like, you know, like, I don't know. I think, like, you know, when I first started teaching and kids were playing, I had an eye on it to the side, but I was I was doing work. You know what I mean? And then yeah. when I started to see kids um, play as work, all of a sudden I was like, oh, my gosh, this um, little boy who doesn't really – participate in math is making groupings of five over here like why is that different of making why is that why can't that have met grade level expectation because mm-hmm. it's fun you know like that's <laughs> why you can't make it so I think like just just making sure that like you know it should feel fun to kids it should feel playful to kids and we ourselves just like you don't want your doctor to be like a heavy smoker. Like you don't want a teacher to be like so austere. Like, you know, like you, you, you want a joyful, playful person who also can see that joy and fun has its own element of rigor to it. Uh-huh. I, I, yeah, I, I like that you said that you point out in the book too, that part about if we just look at kids work or play and their own work as cute then we're totally undervaluing what they just did right and and I love that because it does it takes a lot of effort and they're doing a lot of thinking and if we just if we don't see the thought process and the work that went into it we've dismissed out of hand something that they care about you know one of the things that they talk about in the document played for a change which we mentioned quite a few times in that Mm -hmm. book um is they say that what play does is play doesn't necessarily prepare kids for being adults, although it gives them a lot of skills that will help them for adults. What play actually does is help children be better children. Like it helps them be the best kid they can be. And I was, I, when I read that, I really, it made me pause because I feel like in general, one of the things that I've been working on as a teacher in the classroom is not thinking about what do they need to do? And I teach kindergarten, but what do they need to do to be ready for first grade? What do they need to do to be ready for the next month? But actually just sit in the moment with them 
and say like, what are you doing right now? And I think, you know, um, you know, writing is such a great analogy, seeing writing develop from kids. Cause like, you know, lots of times like people see scribbles and they're just like, ah, they're, they're not writing. But then when you actually analyze the work of the scribbles, you're like, oh my gosh, like they've invented a sign system. It's not <laughs> our sign system, but like they've, they've invented and are using a mode of communication. That's a huge leap forward. Um, and I think that's the same with play. Like when you see a child for the, you know, for the first time and negotiate and engage alongside a peer in conversation with play and collaborating, that's, that's huge. Or when you see a child who maybe isn't so much a fan of, you know, putting pen to paper, um, making signs all over, you're seeing these huge, big leaps and steps. Um, and, and I forgot where I started with this, but, <laughs> but it's, but people need to celebrate it. Yeah. <laughs> and and I also liked that you point out that we need to celebrate the way the kid plays. And you talked about how something you do that you like is moving furniture that's playful <laughs> for you. Right, right. And right. I've been noticing that in my own children, too, that I need to, because uh, I have a son who loves Power Rangers, and I keep trying to get him to explain be more well-rounded right. and I read what you said and I thought well what I really should do is celebrate what he loves and then bring that into the other things I, I just love that you did you pointed that out because it was something I hadn't thought about before well it is interesting because it's you know one of the things that you know we we it's like always tricky right when you write a book you like you know you want you want to like package yourself along with the book to just explain anything can, like people might have differing thoughts about. <laughs> well, this is what we were trying to say here. But, uh, one of the things that uh, you know we think is really important is even though we're we're teaching around play, we're not telling kids what to play, mm -hmm. and we're not dictating the outcomes of play. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is just stepping back and being like what matters to you as a human being and like how do we give you lots of space like you know just today I was confronted with um you know three kids who made who wanted to make a, a police center and their number one activity wanted to be shooting everybody <laughs> and so like we had an amazing opportunity to just come together and like on one hand I could just be like no guns um, which grant there's a hundred percent of me that wants to be like no guns, uh -huh. you know. But then, but then, what does that do for these children, and what is that what is that helping them? And so we talked about sort of like, you know, using empathy. Like if they if they are pointing their pretend gun and someone says stop, then that's a one hundred percent stop. We also talked about like how one thing police have to do is like practice, and so they 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 made some targets they could practice at, and mm -hmm. like. You know, I'm never, I'm never gonna necessarily be like off to the side, being like, "Ah, oh, I love when kids play guns." <laughs> but at the same time, you know, like, it's we just we it's not about us. Mm -hmm. And so, if we can talk about empathy and like, because you know, kids who are shooting playing play guns are not like gonna grow up to like think that like shooting people is okay, but like when they're trying to understand power and when you mm -hmm. talk about and use it as an opportunity to talk about power, use it as an opportunity to sort of explore the idea of guns and things like that, then then I think more good can come out in the long term than just saying like, no guns ever. Yeah. And I like that you pointed out that if we just 
dismiss one kid's favorite way of playing, we've dismissed them. And yeah. and I hadn't thought of that either. And and I like that you value each kid and what they like, and you try to steer it into the, something productive or something academic. Right. It's it's like it's one of those things that's tricky. It's tricky because you know we. You know, it is, I think this is probably one of the trickiest things, like when, you know, mm-hmm. we talk about in the book, when you have kids who are emulating their, their families and their parent works in a bar or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that, like, you have to figure out, you have to figure out what you're comfortable with, and, and we, you know, like, we don't propose to tell you, like, this is the type of play you have to allow, or this is, you know, like, mm-hmm. anything like that, but just finding a way to communicate with kids and, and sort of, like, understand that a kid's point of view is not our point of view, and mm-hmm. so really trying to like see it in that way having like real empathy for for where kids are coming from and trying to find what you can honor in Mm -hmm. each thing and you talk about empathy a lot in the book which i love too because you pointed out how powerful play is to teach empathy between the kids and use empathy between the teacher and the children and uh, i think there's a lot of power in playful activities to teach kids to be better uh, better human beings. <laughs> well, you know, there's there's all this research out there. I mean, Stuart Brown's book Play um, is just unbelievable, packed with research. And they found, um, you know, kids at risk for violence have that risk reduced through having opportunities to play. Mm-hmm. And like that, you know, when kids play, um, especially in rough and tumble ways that can, that can sometimes go too far. Mm -hmm. Um, they're learning boundaries. Um, they're learning, they're learning what it feels like to go too far. And because play is inherently pleasurable, it has to be self-directed. Kids want to keep playing. So as I play, if I go too far, let's say I, I'm playing superheroes and I, and I battle my friend and my friend, I battle them too hard and my friend gets upset and storms away from me, I'm going to self-correct and, self, self, um, and self-regulate myself more so I can keep the play going. Sometimes the things we're trying to really artificially like, induce in students, if we just let them play, they develop much more organically and naturally. Um, you know, Vyatsky talks about how in play you see the future child and he talks about in, in Tools of the Mind, they, uh, which is a, another amazing book to, mm-hmm. to go find, they talk about how um, kids playing school sit longer than kids in school. Uh-huh. And like just seeing how in play kids really are sort of, you know, learning how to interact, developing concepts about sharing and collaboration and all those sorts of things, um, that's like the single greatest argument for it. You don't, you, you suddenly don't have to you know, um, stress out about, oh gosh, like these, you know, my, my class really needs more support with like community building. We'll let them play and through play community is built. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to tell you, I stole some of your techniques for your book for my two year old and my, well, my, my three year old (laughs) and my four year old, because I, I was reading how you talk about 
building character skills through scaffolding their talk to one another. Oh, and yeah. So yeah. the last few days after I read your book, I've like, when they get in an argument, instead of being telling them what to say, I will go up and whisper to them and say, okay, now tell your sister how you're feeling. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Because, That's great. <laughs> and I feel like sometimes as teachers, when we have behavior issues or we, we band-aid the behavior issues, and I, I loved your chapter about teaching uh, negotiation and collaboration because I feel like that's not just a Band-Aid on the behavior you're actually teaching. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that's been like huge, like, I would say the stuff that's gotten, I've just gotten more interested in in the past few years, that's been, that like, teaching those social-emotional skills. And, and there's, a, there's a study called Nice Kids Finish First that followed kids for 19 years and found that social skills are a better predictor of success than academic skills mm -hmm. and that social skills can in fact be taught but what happens in what's sort of happening now is like okay so you're a kindergarten teacher you're a first grade teacher you hear that the end of the year benchmark is like something ridiculously high in reading so you're like oh my gosh I have to do guided reading I have to do guided reading I have to do guided reading like seven times a day I you know what? I'm going to unpack this kid's backpack so they can get to the rug faster. I'm going to make the kids sit far away from each other because solving that problem is taking time away from us practicing our alphabet. And like I completely understand where that comes from, mm -hmm. but like teaching is a long game. And like just to to meet crazy benchmarks in kindergarten, first grade, second grade means you fall apart in eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And like uh, like, that's the hardest thing because, like, you know, I heard Steph Harvey say once that the kids don't always bloom on your watch. And, like, and just knowing that, like, part of your job is, like, protecting the garden. You know, like, <laughs> they may not be blooming, but let's not, you know, dump five pounds of fertilizer on it. Like, we're still within a natural window here. And I think, like, I think, you know, um, taking the time, letting kids unpack their backpacks. Like, a kid who's going to unpack their backpack, it has more agency and is more likely to, to, to take care of some of the other jobs they're going to have to do down the road. And, like, you know, I think finding that balance. But that's also part of why, like, what we found is, like, hey, you can take 10, 15 minutes off each more academic part of the day because you find it and then some within play. Mm -hmm. So like, it's okay if you don't, your district says you have to have writing for, you know, for 45 minutes and you shorten it to 30 because guess what, when they're playing, you're going to see writing all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, skills and context for kids are skills and play. Mm -hmm. and, and that's like really, I think, critical to remember and life skills teaching negotiation, teaching collaboration, mm -hmm. all that's going to benefit them later in academic life, but they're going to learn it in playing when we teach it too, that it can be taught. Yeah. And you're so right that there's so much research and talk about that the best learning is the learning that's tied to real world and concrete experiences. And when you're a little, when you're a kindergartner or a first grader or even a second grader, that's your real life experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think about how when like kids are, you know, oftentimes uh, what happens, there's a really reciprocal relationship between play and where our teaching goes and then where the play goes. And so like, 
you know, we start to see kids playing store. So then we're going to take that and launch a store study. And then the store study is going to start to drive all sorts of reading and writing and math and all sorts of things that are going to pop up in the play. And then the play is going to show us what they understand about the concept. And then that pushes our teaching now in the next direction. You know, in the, in the book we talk about a family study. I mean, like, me, my family, that's kindergarten curriculum. But only when you watch kids play do you actually see what they understand about family. Because that's what kids are doing when they're playing. They're showing you what they know, what they understand. And so that gives you an opportunity to, like, really anchor teaching in what they're interested in and then also support them. You know, when we did the store study, we tied in social language. We tied in, of course, like, all sorts of math concepts. There was lots of writing. There was lots of reading. Like, all of the stuff that you're trying to do anyway, but it's driven by um, kids' interests and kids' um, sort of natural passions. I mean, and... Power Rangers is like quintessentially like it's like I have so many kindergarten boys <laughs> and I'm sure there's girls out there but it's mostly boys who become obsessed with Power Rangers but even within that like you can you can start to study some Power Rangers and you know like do a little research and find out more and, t and help them see you know and they start to naturally read write do math because that that's part of them creating and making mm -hmm. uh -huh. and yeah, I just loved also that you brought the play back into your curriculum because the Power Rangers example made me think of how you talk about bringing out and explicitly stating the things that the kids like about their heroes and then tying that into the things that you're trying to get them to do. Like Power Rangers never get up, give up. So let, when we read, let's be like the Power Rangers. Or, or... Right, right. I mean, I think one of the things that like, I know that I'm going to have a great day in the classroom when I feel playful myself. Mm -hmm. And like, and I think that's like underlying all of this is just that general spirit that like if your kids are obsessed with vacuum cleaners and like, you know, they're in uh, my kindergarten neighbor teaching last year had a kindergartner obsessed with vacuum cleaners. And even if it makes you laugh hysterically, like to have a vacuum cleaner manual as reading material, like you bring that in and you're like, look, look at what I found for you. Like, I'm so excited. I can't wait to hear more, you know, like whatever kids passions are like, I mean, because that's what's driving learning is like, of course, like we're it's like we're reading books and studying things that maybe they don't know about, and they're discovering new passions. But also, just finding a place to tie what they love into like the world at large, is like, into their like school world, I think is so. I mean, I think that's like it just helps you be way more connected to the kids, and it helps the kids be way more connected to what they're learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you talk a lot about inquiry learning and how I I can't find the exact quote but you said something about how we need to teach kids that their questions are important and oh, I wish I knew where the quote was <laughs> but valuing their questions and that their goal in life is to ask questions and to find the answers and not to be satisfied with other people's answers and I just I love that because I feel like if we could give our our students at least that gift of having a questioning curious mind Right. That would take them so far. Right. You know, one of the things that I find that I've really shifted my stance on as a teacher is, like, it always seems fancy, faster to answer questions or to not actually fully listen to the questions. 
But like as you start to realize like how much learning seeking answers can bring, even if you don't find the answers, you know, um, a little girl early in the year this year just casually asked, she's like, why don't, why don't crayons have caps? And like, we like then took that on a huge study about like crayons versus markers. And like, that could have been an easy thing to just be like, well, markers dry out and crayons don't Mm -hmm. like, or like, you know, just let it go. Or even like, you know, we, we're right now, we're, we're hopefully hatching chicks. We're incubating chicks right now. <laughs> and, like, one of the questions is that came up that was really interesting is one of the um, little boys is really pretty certain we have ostrich eggs. And ost- we're going to hatch ostriches. And, and um, one of the – so we have all these books and we're looking at the eggs and stuff. And one of the kids is like, well, their ostrich eggs are too big. And he's like, yeah, but can't eggs grow? And, like <laughs> – you there's one part of you that just wants to be like no (laughs) when you realize sort of what a complex question that is and like how you can sort of set up an investigation to find that out or not we can measure the eggs every day see if they're changing size like then we're like sort of using reading writing math like all the things we're teaching to you know around some really interesting questions Mm -hmm. and guess what the eggs are not growing so So they're not ostriches no ostriches (laughs) that's good i don't know what you'd do with ostriches i know hopefully chicks though every year every year around this time of year because we this is one inquiry we do do every year i i a stop eating eggs because i become just like acutely aware of what i'm eating (laughs) and b have nightmares about like every night have incubator nightmares so (laughs) I suffer for the children. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> oh, I, I think that the, the, the thing that struck me the most about the book was about how it was just honoring the children for who they are and what they bring to the classroom and then teaching their whole, teaching to the whole child. I felt that a lot reading it, that this was a book about teaching the whole child and honoring the child for who they are. And I think that's such an amazing, awesome message. Well, I mean, that's, you did a beautiful summary. (laughs) Feel free to post that on Amazon. I will, I will go to Amazon and give you a review right now. No, but I mean, I think that's really, I mean, that's awesome. That's really great to hear and really great of you to say. Because, like, if there's there's nothing else that people get out of it, just the idea that, you know, kids aren't passing through our rooms, like, in a, on a factory belt, but that each one of them is worthy of the time to, to sort of tend to each one as you would any living thing, you know, that's mm-hmm. beautiful and perfect in its own right. Mm-hmm. So I think that... that the best review we could get. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for talking to me about it. Do you want to talk about any other details of it that, um, I, that I didn't ask you about? No, I mean, I think you pulled out a, a lot of the really, really big ideas that, that we ourselves really wanted people to walk away with. You know, just the idea that it's not a book about, you know, like making, you know, fun phonics games. You know, it's a book really about um, understanding sort of all that play has to offer and that you want to fight to make the space to let kids bloom and blossom and and using and seeing really the the value of play. And we hope 
you know, in our book that that that's really done. And, you know, one of the things that we've talked about, Cheryl, Allison and I, is that like what we really want is like a revolution in public schools that, you know, it's that play, you know, it, we hear about recess being taken away and, you know, blocks being thrown out and the arts getting lost from schools and and all that's doing, though in the short term, may show a micro boost in test scores or whatever, in the long term is doing irreparable damage. And like, you know, the classroom today is the world of the future and, and what could we want more in the future besides like joy and empathy and curiosity. So when you choose play, you choose a world that honors those things. And that, it, that you know, if you need me to call your principal, teachers listening, if you need me to call your principal <laughs> and tell them they can't get rid of your recess, let me know. <laughs> and I will. <laughs> well, I think your book just solves half the battle because I feel like if every teacher and parent and administrator was educated about how much learning happens in play, then you wouldn't have to call the administrators because everybody <laughs> would know. Well, you know, I just like to be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for letting me talk to you because I really want to get the word out there of your book and it, because I think it's great. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, that was the interview with Christy. I thought she had some really powerful things to say. I just loved listening to her. She's so insightful and so excited about play. It kind of reminds me about today we did um, at the Block Center create their own Jurassic World. And it was so exciting to watch the purposeful play that was going on at that center and to take note of the way the kids were communicating and cooperating and self-regulating and using all kinds of visual skills and math skills. And I think the thing that I was most excited about was to watch kids play with kids that they generally don't play with because they were all so excited about it that everyone was joining in the fun. The book is called Purposeful Play, A Teacher's Guide to Igniting Deep and Joyful Learning Across the Day. And I hope everybody goes out and finds a copy because it's awesome. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit us at kindergartenkiosk.com. And if you'd like to share your teaching experiences, you can write to us at kindergartenkiosk at gmail.com. This week, we have a story shared by Allison Hogan. She says, for the past two weeks, we studied social studies concepts, including needs and wants, goods and services, producers and consumers, types of communities, urban, rural, and suburban, making choices, saving versus spending. This play lesson was initiated by the students. At the end of three weeks, our students become consumers, making two objects to sell. The students also bring $2 and have the option to buy two things. We call it our class garage sale. Students then collectively decide what to do with the money. Most years we give it to a nonprofit like Habitat for Humanity, Sharks for Kids, and this year we haven't decided yet. Students continued their study at play by practicing being producers and making sticky note art. They then tried to sell by having consumers bring them sticks, acorns, and leaves. Allison teaches a transitional K-1 class, a class for students who complete K who need more time to develop social, emotional, and academic development. All the students in her class have spring and summer birthdays, and she sent some pictures of her kids playing as they learn to be consumers and producers, and we will post those on the website with this podcast. See you later, Mom. All right, see you, everyone. Bye, Lindsay. Kindergarten Kiosk.
is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, a network of podcasts for educators, by educators. For more information, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. That's E-D-U-podcastnetwork.com. Now can I listen to it?